So wherever you most directly sense you are, whatever you most directly sense you, how you are, yeah. whatever you most direct, have you most directly sense how you're defining yourself. Yeah. There's a subjectivity yeah, within all the definitions and the movements. Mm-hmm. This is citta, awareness, pure subjectivity. And uh, uh, by and large, this is always uh, mixed, mingled, wrapped in these various um, what are called kanda aggregates. Mixed and mingled. So we imagine we are in a particular place. We imagine we're in a particular body. We imagine we are in a particular time, moving from this to that. We imagine we're a creature who can see and hear and touch. These things don't even seem to be imaginations. They seem to be truth. Till you ask yourself, well, who is it in all this? And you may come up with another series of names or answers, but that's uh, it took the mind had to move to do that, didn't it? It had to move to remember and add up and assess. So there was a movement that created that sense of who you are. If there were no movement, is who you are a movement? And is it always, isn't the movement always moving and changing? And is it feeling differently and experiencing itself in different situations and naming itself in different ways as important, unimportant, male, female, better, worse, responsible, irresponsible, yeah. Nationality took a bit of a movement to do those, didn't it? A shimmer of the mind. It's pretty quick, probably, but it moved. The movement that you know, okay, you wrapped up in that, and wrapped up in that. Then there's another movement which is trying to get it settled and comfortable and agreeable, and then a movement to prolong that in time. So in the future, this that, I, that has been generated will continue, will be happier, even better maybe, at least not worse, uh, more comfortable, more brighter, wiser, kinder, more easeful. You know, that's another movement called Bawa. So this is all the this moving process that we barely notice it's moving because we're so um, used to the movement. We get um, accustomed to movement. The subtle movement, just this shimmering of mind, shimmerings. And some of them are extremely poignant, aren't they? Searing, uh, incisive. Some are happy, trilling, you know, glad movements. Some are deeply unpleasant. And a lot of them are very familiar, you know, familiar movement. 
The default is to move to the familiar pattern of who I am, what I should be, what I'm, where I'm going, what I was. It's still a movement. What kind of an entity is that if it's just made of movement? If those movements changed, so if we went from the what we feel like when we feel like the miserable accused person into being the loved person what would that movement bring around shift, change something else isn't it and how long can that sustain before it swings again into something else this is the truth of a Nietzsche change, dukkha, nothing is ever completed, stabilised nothing really can be called a core finite entity self and yet this is all very intimate uh, very much forming me very much a topic of concern you know, very potent there uh, can be a lot of re- reactivity and painful things and unskillful things or reactive, compulsive things on regrets or unskillful things that cause harm for oneself and others when that movement spins out of control and it gets in reactive and stuff starts running around and we all recognise that yeah. now all this this is what we're kind of embedded in you might say because all the time there's a sense of a subjectivity within that Perhaps feeling sometimes quite desperate, or you know, what, where, how, <laughs> you know, or curious. Oh, it's interesting how it, what's this all this about? But there's a, some sense of where there's a, you know, we can get some degree of response to that, you know, acknowledgement of that. This is our key: the fact that we can. Witness, acknowledge, get some even blurry assessment of all this stuff going on, and wait a minute, what's all, where does, what's all this mean? Where's, what's all this about? Where do I, you know? Um, there's a riddle here. But then going out into the movements, you can only moderate that. You can moderate it to become, you know, more responsible, decent person. Um, yeah, you can do that. And that's the best kind of movements to make. The best kind of becoming, it's called. Become a good person. But with this access to the Buddha Dhamma and to uh, the time, the occasion that occurs, there's the possibility of taking it a bit further. Not that one shouldn't be a good person, but to explore and to understand the nature of self, personhood, becoming, uh, it's called clinging, which is the very magnetic attraction to all this moving stuff. That is, as perceptions arise, stick, that's me. As feelings arise, stick, that's me. Sights arise and I'm seeing. Is that cling, stuck, immediate? pretty immediate anyway so this is clinging it's not a conscious decision 
it's not a decision to cling by no means. It's a it's a reflex through that arises when there's not seeing. There's, there isn't the comprehension. There isn't the release. There isn't the space. There isn't the dispassion. There isn't the strength or the understanding to be able to, you know, undo that reflex, that clinging, that sticking, that taking a position, that identification. So, yeah. So the practice in several ways, as we've understood it, is to establish this uh, foundation, some stability, some sense of self-respect, feeling of safety, yeah, no pressure on these aggregates to become things special, to become better, to you know, be popular, to be anything really. And just to let oneself go into the field of practice. This is an immense blessing. The pressure is off to feel happy, you know, productive, useful, figure out the future and so forth. You don't have to pay your way, you don't have to deserve anything, you don't have to work hard for a living for this time, it's just, it's all, here it is, you know, many blessings, you, you've arrived into this occasion. But still, of course, those patterns, will, those habits will still occur, you do feel, feel you should be something, and you should be, feel a certain feeling, and you should, you know, you don't really deserve that much, and you should really work harder to make you deserve everything and get some results, otherwise you've wasted your time and pathetic. <laughs> Didn't do as good as you should on a retreat, and you, had a, you know, the business model. Yeah, it's not a productive retreat. <laughs> it's a, a cleaning out the to- the toxins. So aggregates, kanda, as you're reciting every morning, rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, vijnana. We use the Pali because that's as close as we can get to what the Buddha said. And all the English translations are, you know, have the errors or the shortcomings of translations. But rupa, shape, form. Often this is glossed as body, but it means something much more universal than just the human body. It means every form. The experience of a form arising in the eye, uh, generally it's the eye, but it can even be a f- mental form. That is something, a lump, a solid thing, an apparent entity, an apparent discrete, discernible object, plunk, lands. Hmm? Rupa. Why does it land? Because of vijnana, consciousness. Ear consciousness, eye consciousness, tongue consciousness, nose consciousness, body consciousness. Taste consciousness, mind consciousness, plunk. Yeah. Now it's not nothing exists clearly unless there's a, some form, we can't be conscious of it. If we're not conscious of it, there's no form. Yeah. 
So form only arises dependent upon consciousness. If you close your eyes, there's no seeables. There's no room, there's no bodies. Directly. We can imagine and infer and remember it, of course. That's the nature of mind consciousness. Brings up facsimiles, (coughs) which are, as a nature of facsimiles, always slightly distorted. That is, we remember what we feel we saw or imagine we saw what seems significant, attractive, beautiful, weird, whatever. So they have these facsimilities of the mind, the mind generates. And we all, we kind of assume it's true till you get five people and say, what did you see? And they all saw something different. So anyway, this is a long story short consciousness and form so you can't have a form without a consciousness because otherwise it doesn't actually happen for you similarly unless there's a consciousness you can't have a form you can't have a form unless there's consciousness so you know, the two depend to depend There's nothing to see, eye consciousness it doesn't arise, does it? So these two are involved. This is the codependent arising. And the rest of it is, is summarized as Nama. So dependent upon this activation of consciousness. Consciousness is an activated experience that's resonating and generating form, receiving form, generating impressions of form. And then the nama is the way that that's qualified, agreeable, disagreeable, uh, stimulating. So agreeable, disagreeable is pleasant. Stimulating, nondescript, arousing, uh, delightful, horrifying, that's sankara, that's the activations that occur. Yeah. And perception, the immediate interpretation of an experience. That's a man, that's a woman, that's quan, that's the door, that's whatever. Yeah. Flash, you get it. So this is the nama, which is what consciousness um, then qualifies and details what has been experienced highly flavoured by mental interpretation, which is the dominant consciousness which synthesises the others. We taste something and the mind says guava. Taste, tongue doesn't know anything about guavas. But you remember guava, so next time you go to the store you think guava, it tasted good and you buy one. Yeah, this is operation, isn't it? This area, then the nama is the really lively bit. Yeah, and so these interaction, uh, nama rupa vijnana, is the matrix. And the nama gets personalized. That is my taste, my preferences, the way I perceive things, what moves me what delights me, what horrifies me, what 
challenges me, what makes me feel glad, personalized. Personalization, um, and then dependent on those personalizations, and then the process continues, one seeks things in line with the personal preferences. Or personal defenses against the unpleasant, the unsecure, the unstable, the frightening. So if that perception arises, then we start to strategize how we can prevent it happening, how we can defend ourselves from it, how we can get away from it, how we can blot it out, you know, either distract ourselves or find some way to weave and and move away from it. All this activation, sankhara, and out of that, that's where karma arises, this activity of heart, the activity of intention, the activity of volition. Again, this is taken very personally. My fears, my phobias, my joys, my passions. They become me because they're followed and familiarized. Who created them? Who owns them? Who can control them? Who can say, let me not have that anxiety, indignation, delight? How did I, how did I create them? If I don't own them and didn't create them and can't even tell, say exactly when they're going to happen, <laughs> to what extent are they mine? <laughs> the visitors that flash through, stimulate, charge, fill the space, create more movement and energy move around and then connect to other things and this goes on in that blur we imagine there's the imagining all this is me and probably there's something wrong with me and all that helps to solidify this moving very moving very mobile very uh, uh, enfolding web of aggregates into a self and a world out there which is the projection of consciousness and we practice for liberation the Buddha presented these five because in a way that's when it when all the personal differences are put aside that's what it comes down to There are other maps you can use, the six sense bases. There's another map that everybody experiences. Map of the aggregates, this particular way of presenting experience. Remember, these are not actual entities. They are ways of, of understanding the aggregates. This experience. And feeling is the sense of pleasure, pain, that pulls and pushes mental, physical, subtle subtle inclination towards subtle shifting away from uh, advertence to distaste for pulling away resistance to defense against making sure it never happens yeah. the Vedana, very potent pusher 
to generate all kinds of movements. Perception. Perceptions of most significant perceptions are perceptions of people. Obviously, everything arises, comes in with a perception. Dog, cow, car, place, country, sky. The really big ones are perceptions of people. Because this is what we are as social creatures. We're very much attuned to the approval, disapproval, affection, distaste of others. So we're picking that up. And we don't know quite what's going on. Then you begin to recognize how, you know, your perceptions of others are really not them. They're your perceptions of others. And that can be very tinted by the sense of what other person means. Other. Is that friendly or uncertain or hostile? Is it someone you've got to compete with? You've got to make sure they don't, you know, bother you? Or is it someone who, oh, that's nice, you know, someone who... Based upon that, we look for the signs. And we find the signs that will fit in with our karmic perception, with our kind of habit pattern with our fears and phobias and uh, longing. Mm. And of course, when you refer to yourself, if you want to have an exercise, exercise in metta bhavana, you really want to test your metta bhavana, start to think, what's wrong with me? Bring that word up, bring that phrase up. What's wrong with me? <laughs> if you want to go full tilt into... <laughs> Testing your metabolana. <laughs> what happens when you open that one? <laughs> and you open up the one called What's Right With Me. And open up the box with What's Good About Me. And, um, <laughs> so this is a good exercise in metabolana. Probably don't take it too seriously, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Just notice, my goodness. That's not very pleasant at all. <laughs> you know, and who's that referring to? And picking it all up, you know. Um, and you see how tiny, you know, tiny little moments can be amplified and stored up as proof that you are like this. <laughs> and all kinds of other experiences disappear, you don't even get noticed. You know, very, 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 very tinted perceptions of self and others because they're so they're so provocative and they're so embedded by past karma and they're so potent condition for future karma because of we are humans and we mean a lot to each other we depend upon each other we live together we share so it gets very very hair triggered for approval disapproval guilt regret passion, fascination yeah. and trying to find out you know, where it will work where it will just feel really comfortable and, and happy and pleasant and agreeable, no misunderstandings and just really nice and you know, where's, the, where's that one going to happen? Yeah. 
Working on the perception aggregate, that's where it happens. Understanding what perceptions are to be followed and what are to be checked and held in, at bay and understood is not skillful, not helpful, not bringing forth the right intentions. Mm-hmm. So in all this movement, this movement and the adhesion to it, which makes it seem more solid than it really is, is the clinging. The repetitive clinging makes the whole whirling process seem much more solid because there's that again. and It seems to be solid because it's there again. And that is really the power of clinging is what retains it. And clinging is something you do, it's something that happens, these, these aggregates are the bases, they're called the upadana kanda, the aggregates affected by clinging. They mesmerize, they have magnetic pull, where we take stand upon them, we resist them, we favor them, we worry about them, we get activated by them. And all this just coming out of consciousness, name and form. And that's what happens, and it's been going on a long time. And the citta has run out into that web, seeking happiness and fulfillment for many a long, long time. Mm. Said, you know, the Buddha gave an image, he said, what do you think? Is greater the water in the oceans or the tears you have shed <laughs> in this faring on? <laughs> I said, no, the, 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 oceans in the, the water in the oceans is small compared with the, t- the amount of tears you have shed in this, in this on faring. <laughs> I don't think he measured it, but he gave you an idea of, of, uh, of just the intensity of this. And, uh, you know, for a long time, a habit going out into those, into that sticking to it, trying to shape it into something that's going to be permanent, stable. I can have say over. I can make work. It's going to be mine. It's going to steady there. It's going to be comfortable for me. <clears throat> it hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah. But all the time, just the, the good news, this subjectivity, this which seeks out which seeks comfort, it actually is itself a source of comfort and stability. And it's called the, uh, the citta that depends on itself, or it's rightly placed. It doesn't depend upon the aggregates, it depends, it stands upon itself. The supatita citta. Citta is established supremely established, it's established on itself. Um, you know? So, sometimes colloquial expressions of this are, the, there is a knowing, anya. Mm. So this is one of the qualities of realization, anya, to be the knowing. You know, it sounds conceptual, it's not conceptual. To be the awareness. Of the, so we've heard this refrain uh, probably several times during the retreat. 
than the other times. But of course, you know, we have to meet these aggregates, which are where, you know, the thing has to be undone. Is not so much feeling as clinging to it, nor even perception so much as clinging to it. If we didn't, if there wasn't the clinging to it, the perception would move, fade, shift, change. In that recognition of it being so changeable, so insubstantial it would no longer be a big issue. So, you know, again, as is so uh, repeated, the experience of anicca impermanence, changeability, is uh, a, a mark, characteristic, and it's something, you, you know, you can just bear in the back of your mind, but that's kind of the, the vantage point and so we start to you know, find a way in which we can maintain presence and awareness with these aggregates to begin to, first of all, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, weird or wonderful, actually they're very mobile. They're kind of pulsing, throbbing, shifting, morphing. You know, uh, you know, perceptions morph and change. You know, If you loosen up and... You know, don't try to make things solid and real and convincing and known. Just let it be slightly mysterious. Let you know, reduce the pressure of, of search for stability and security and knowing everything and being something. You reduce the pressure of that. Let it be softer. Let it be mysterious. Let it be slightly wobbly. And you know, and of course, this could be a challenge for the person that seeks stability. We say, okay, so within this, you know, it's it's all right. Things are taken care of. You have a retreat. You can let it go soft and wobbly. And um, that's to your advantage. At the same time, sharpen, crystallize, firm up in awareness and using this embodiment to give the awareness some sense of heft, some sense of what substance, some sense of strength, some sense of groundedness. So then we've got not just the idea of awareness, but a real feeling of present awareness, which has got a steady energy to it, stabilizes. <clears throat> then we bear that against the push of these aggregates, the feeling aggregate, the perception aggregate, the activations, the sankara, the formations aggregates. Yeah. We lean into that with a quality of calming, soothing, goodwill, all the time in the world, patience and so forth. It's bearing with. It's firm and soft at the same time. And you want to check, uh, be co- so you spread that Try to get that map of practice and spread it through the day. Yeah, because at any time the thing can spin out. You know, you're mopping the floor and suddenly you spin into a tiz about how well you've got to do it. <laughs> and you've got to do it fast enough. Or somebody else has got some idea of how well it should be done and you get into a whole kind of spat over mopping the floor. And you're like, wow. <laughs> that one slipped out quick, didn't it? 
You know, you're taking a nap or something, somebody walks in, you feel guilty because you're taking a nap. That one slipped out quick, didn't it? You know, or somebody looks at you and think they disapprove of you. You know, be on guard against these flashing things that come in at any moment of the day, you're eating the meal and you're thinking, oh, I eat too much or everybody thinks I'm a pig or he, she eats so fast, she's gobbling her food. Wow, well, that lot suddenly flashed out, didn't it? <laughs> so you've got to be a, a really... And then this is all okay, you know. But you notice, know, there's, there's perception formation again. Hmm? Who got created in that? Yeah. How immediate it was to form myself as a, as a person who's superior to others, as a person who's inferior to others, as a person who other people see as inferior, as a person who's worse, better, so forth. That was pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then who's that? And the familiar pattern. Here she is again. You know, threatened. Quivering, tense, agitated, yeah. Then starting to think, I can't meditate, I can't practice, I've been all these years, I can't do this, what's wrong with me? Here he goes, here we go again. <laughs> and then just pause, yeah. Breathing out, feet on the ground, feeling your body, relaxing the energy, tension in your body, opening your chest. Breathing in, breathing out. It's coming out of that. You know, because these aggregates have an energetic quality to them. They speed up and they tighten up. They speed up and they tighten up. That's the karmic thing. Because it requires a certain blindness to keep it going. It's so horrible sometimes... You wonder, you know, how could anybody in their right mind concoct some misery for themselves? <laughs> but it requires a certain blindness to keep it going because it is so unsatisfactory. Yeah. And the blindness is better when you're blurred, when you're reactive. Ignorance likes that. <laughs> it's called ignorance, not seeing. So whenever there's heedlessness which is you know not catching it then ignorance takes over and you're blind you get this rush and then you're back into stuck business same old pattern again but just as that's immediate it's also there's an immediate button you can push which is called the heedfulness button which is a stop <laughs> you know just hit hit the stop button and you know, come into your body, feel the jangling in your body. You know, you don't even have feet now. Come down into your feet, your body, breathing out. Careful attention, second thing. Attend to where there's cooling, calming, steadying, refuge. You know, attend to that. You can't find it right now. You can't find it right now. Just pause a little longer. Maybe part of that refuge was just the capacity to pause itself. It's nearer than you think. I can witness this. I don't like it, but I can witness it. That's the beginning. Pay careful attention to that. Yeah. Now, could that awareness, that quality of refuge, could that, as you linger in that, could that 
actually steady itself and move into goodwill. Compassion, generosity, patience, friendliness, comforting, steadying. Ah, I can feel my belly, now I can feel my legs, feet. Okay, coming back. Sympathetic resonance. And then what was all that about? And then you can get some understanding. So every time ignorance is unveiled, penetrated, you begin to understand, oh, that's, that's, the, that's the process, that's the program. Yeah, that's the program that I've been running on. And I'm glad I could see it now. Yeah. And begin to, there's perception, there's feeling, there's mental formation, there's the heart movement, there's the body movement. Now, a lot of it just as a direct practice. Um, I make a lot out of the, the relationship between the body and heart, or citta, or citta sankara and kaya sankara. So these are both um, particular formulations of what's called the sankara aggregate. And sankara is an active quality that tends towards creating particular set pieces, set programs that are familiar. The worry program, the doubt program, the inadequacy program, the I've got to do it all program. These are karmic that we run on. So they are generated and revised and rehearsed and programmed and tuned in and finally detailed by Sankara, which is an active creator. It's a fashioner. And this fashioning, um, this energy operates through, primarily through the heart, it's Jitta Sankara. <clears throat> so there's an emotional surge to it, or an impulse surge to it. That's why it's so irrational, it just impulsively surges out. Um, but we also have, and so this is the source of karma. This jitta sankara is the source of karma, and it remembers the old patterns. So it, no, it operates. You've got a blueprint, and the new incident run you gets programmed into fitting the old blueprints. So this is how karma perpetuates through sankara. Jitta Sankara. But fortunately, you know, the other two formulations of Sankara, one is called Vajji Sankara, which is the ability or the energy that forms concepts and thoughts. And uh, you can hear it chattering away. The energy chatters away. Generates thoughts. It's not the thought itself, it's, the, it's that briskness and that interest and that urge to conceive you know, to explain things and you can you know, that's often just nattering away, saying nothing particularly useful or it's just um, chattering away about in, in, t- in terms of the jitta sankara that is we feel nervous and we're chattering on about this and that and this and that and this and that, and this and that because of the nervousness if you review your chattering mind or your surging mind, or your complaining mind, or the way you're defining yourself and others, 
And just pause, notice all that train of thought, which seem, can seem very convincing. What's the mood of that? Is it happy, loving, peaceful, or is it slightly agitated, busy, pressurized, unpleasant? And this will give you a direct link to the chitta sankara, what's really going on in your heart. And that's an important thing to to learn because it's in this Vajji Sankara that the uh, very complex uh, world of our, our thought world arises. Very complex and, and quite interesting and, and indeed sometimes beautifully uh, elaborated and designed. Um, intricate poetic details and so forth. It's a fascinating world. It goes on. And on, and on. <laughs> There's always a new word to add to it, you know, another detail to add to it, and revise. Uh, it never gets to the final statement. But if we just take a piece of that, and what's the mood with this? happy, busy, brusque, or whatever, and then just pause, linger in that, this is careful attention, and feeling quite stirred up. Hmm, stirred up. What's happening there? Sit in that for a while, contemplate that. Stirred up, what's it about? Feeling nervous, feeling uh, uncertain. Hmm? So sometimes even brilliant thoughts can be coming from a place of of uncertainty. It's the, the, the original welling up, which is the nervous displacement. And you know, it's the case, isn't it? So many uh, great artistic geniuses are basically nervous wrecks or psychotic or. <laughs> but this kind of energy coming up, they distill it into amazing uh, constructions. In practice, we're coming back into that to know that this is the lonely heart or the saddened heart or the desperate heart or the restless heart and really with a generous attitude of compassion. Just just be loving towards that. Or spacious around it. Now we can then respond perhaps even more immediate and more, more um, direct is the bodily sankara, kaya sankara, uh, which is body energy, and you recognize everything that's, that's generated has got energy to it. Every thought, every emotion is certainly energetic. The aggregates are energetic. That's the common currency of all of it. That's the common um, food of all of it is energy. And this body has its energy form too, which is centered around the vitality of breathing in, breathing out, but permeates through the entire system in all kinds of impulses and energies running around in the body or stuck in the body or jabbing in the body. Therefore we come into that kaya sankara and just steady that, because if this is jumbled, then the heart will be jumbled, because there's a very close synthesis between Kaya, Chitta and Vajji. 
So a thinking mind cannot stop thinking unless there's a comfortable heart. Comfortable, can't, cannot be comfortable unless there's a comfortable body to sit in, then it settles down. When I say comfortable body, of course, this is a bit of a, an oxymoron, is there such a thing? Um, <laughs> uh, it's, clearly it's not the sensation body, it's not that comfortable, you can get it reasonable. But the energy body can be comfortable. So as I've said before, we have several bodies, um, the visual body, which we see, the perceptual body, the one we imagine we have, or what we think we look like, or how old we, or our take, or our our attitude towards our body forms a perceptual body. You have a sensation body, which is the particular cascade of sensations that are happening in terms of rupa, and you have an energy body. And the energy body is the best one. Perceptual body is a disaster. <laughs> Don't go there. Visual body, uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> but you don't have to see it all the time. But perceptual body you can carry with you all the time. Sensation body, yeah, you know. Good days, bad days, but generally there's something to be jabbing away in that. Mm. Now, so we sensations themselves. Uh, we sitting here, and when we come into body, we're often so many of us, um, and in general, conflicted by sensations. Yeah, uh, you know, and the, well, and the the feeling that comes with them. And you can track sensation. Sensation itself is rupa, momentary appearances of rupa, of experienced tactile form or tangible form arising. And it's very, you know, it seems so real. I mean, that's my leg, that's my ankle, that's my ear, that's my chest. Yeah, but you notice if if you are, say, listening to music, you might not experience those at all. Because your attention wouldn't be there. Yeah. You focus on a sensation, you notice it has a nature to be wrapped up in feeling. And you just, you know, more accepting to the feeling. And you should do this when it's not too exquisitely painful, uh, excruciatingly painful, just moderately throbbing, aching, so it's not too challenging. And then, no, what actually is the sensation as distinct from this quality of dis- um, pleasure, displeasure, pleasure? It's, it's a pulsing thing. Rupa is changing, shifting, changing. If it's shifting and changing, to what extent is it solid and real? Track neutral sensations. So sensations of breathing in and out are, you know, if you, you know, if that becomes more available for you, the breath channel, breathing in and out, sensations that are neutral towards mildly pleasant. They're not disagreeable. There's a flowing quality to that. We track the movement of sensation, the change of sensation. So if you don't quite understand what I mean by the breath energy, track the sensations of breath. <clears throat> You're breathing, track them. 
anywhere you can, in your belly, your nose, your whole body, track the experience, the sensate experience of breathing, and how notice how they flow from one to the other. There's no such thing as a solid sensation. It changes from this, that, the other. That changeability is energy. It's dynamic. It's in flow. It's morphing. It's changing. It's shifting. Yeah? And you notice also that when the sensation subsides, particularly at the end of the breath, the breath fades out, it fades out into something. There's a quality of a kind of slightly vitalized experience. There's energy there. The energy is that which gets the breath moving. And it also is the body, the materiality or the background, the substrate, which links the sensations. And uh, the beauty of this is once you understand that, that energy and you access that energy, it is possible to shift the energy so you don't experience the sensations. That is, the sensations are bonded to the energy and the sensations are the condition for feeling. Mm. Yeah. So if it, neutral feeling is not a problem, when it's relatively unchallenging, it's good to notice the energy of the sensations. Yeah. And then while it's not really creating a lot of pressure, you have the chance to just shift your energy, shift your attention, shift your energy and those sensations no longer impact. You can quieten it down, particularly if you calm and steady the energy and turn it down. Sensations are no longer so intense. This is the principle of samadhi. This is why samadhi is considered to be a very comfortable abiding. You know, and the people who can develop this to an extraordinary degree, the Buddha said he could sit seven days and seven nights without moving feeling completely comfortable. And, um, you know, the man was not numb. Didn't, didn't, was, he had nerve endings, but he shifted his energy away from the sensation body into, another, into an energy body. This is Olympic stuff. <coughs> but uh, just to, you know, to play with you, oh, really? That's interesting. Um, so, you know, is it possible? How does energy shift? Well, you know, you directly withdraw or soften your intensity, your interest, your whatever, you know, your attitudes around sensations and even around feeling. You know, feel, turn your attention towards the energy of breathing in and out. And if you enter that field, because it is a field, you begin to discern to a greater degree, and it grows over time, another kind of body. And I'm using these terms rather poetically, but certainly an experience of an energy field uh, where the sensations are kind of happening like rain on the window and outside. Uh And the feelings also around that, they're outside. The The sensations are there and the feeling doesn't impinge or impinges to a lesser degree. And the energy itself has got a certain vitality to it that the mind finds agreeable. The citta is happy with that. And then the citta sankara shifts and it starts to feel rather uplifted. 
buoyant in that and calming, soothing. Now this is a way in which we begin to moderate the push of these aggregates. But still, they're still there in samadhi, they're still there. But it's considered a, you know, a, a happy place because also because it's taken quite a lot of skill and understanding to develop that. You, know, you have to know what you're doing or be clear about it or the mind develops agility and it moves out of the hindrances. Yeah, but the, you know, this is called citta vimuti. The citta is momentarily liberated from the pressure of the aggregates, but they're still there. And so in that pause, whenever that diminution occurs of the inflicted state, the pressurized state, the compacted state, where you can have greater opportunity to develop panya, discernment, wisdom. This is feeling. This is perception. This is formation. This is consciousness. Mm. You know, step back from this. Don't get involved with this. Be awake to this. Find awareness within this. Be dispassionate towards this. And it becomes, uh, and the wisdom is the, is the fuller liberation. Now, the beauty of the Buddha teaching is you, that that, what I've just described, which sounds perhaps esoteric, can happen at this micro level, you know, of, of, of depth in samadhi. But the same thing actually is practicable on the macro level. So we're walking around, once you get a sense of these aggregates and a realization there's a very, you know, a kind of a, a, a process that we deal with. This is, this is perception, this is activation, this is feeling, this is sensation, form. You know, it's not self, it's not something that's going to get right, it's not something that's wrong, it's not right or wrong, it's just that. Don't mess with this, you know. But at the same time, don't ignore it. So you have that sense of dispassion, wakefulness, and noticing where, where the triggers occur, where your buttons get pushed. And, ah, there's a learning place. Don't go into a guilt thing. Something to learn there. Be grateful you found out where the button was. Now you know. Okay? Now knowing that you have an irritation thing, you have a sensitivity thing, where you get highly sensitive and irritable about phenomena, what is needed here? What do you need to do? What do you need to affect? Maybe on the macro level, may I be more relaxed? May I learn to be with the presence of others? May I entertain a quality of welcoming and feeling welcomed? Even just practicing that. Yeah. So the defensiveness can ease up the need to separate myself and to ease up. We're not so on edge. So you start to review, you know, in this you know, very direct way, pieces of your karmic creation that make you you. This is so, you know, in meditation we can begin to look at these things and highlight it in detail. You know, maybe shift some energies around 
you know, get real real experiences of a, of another domain, you know, something other than that. So you begin to see this personal realm is just one channel. But of course, this personal realm is the channel that we're going to be operating through most of the time. So you re, you come back, you must always return to that and begin to, you know, review it and, and see it in true light. Then there's a possibility for integrating insight, wisdom, discernment, liberation into this very life as we live it. Now, karma is then being moderated, extinguished, exhausted, and there's a possibility for freedom. And any step we make in that direction must always be um, something of enormous benefit to liberate the chitta from this compulsiveness. So, (laughs) now is the time to uh, take a break. (laughs) 